Welcome to Love at First Science with me, your host and fellow inquisitive inquirer, lover of all things nerdy, Celeste. As a physiotherapist and neuroscience student, I really do love science, but I'm also interested in the world of business, creativity, psychology. So this podcast is going to interview all sorts of different people from many different backgrounds to gain an understanding of the science behind their passion. We are about to embark on series three, which is all about the gut. Now, I'm hypermobile. It's one of our um, comorbidities, as they say. It's like one of the things that comes along with the hypermobile territory. So I've always felt like gut issues are my middle name. But I have to say, talking to this panel has already helped me implement small manageable changes that really seem to be working. So I'm excited to share the panel with you guys. We do go off-piste. We go from lymph into histamine. We look at intuition. So this is a great panel to dive into to learn more. I'm so excited to share this with you. Our next guest is the incredible Caitlin Colucci. Caitlin is a dietitian and she specializes in irritable bowel syndrome, commonly known as IBS. And she's also got a lot of experience working with other serious gut issues like Crohn's disease, celiac disease, pancreatic disease. So she knows her stuff. She acquired her master's and then she ended up working in the NHS, uh, specializing in gastroenterology. Uh, she's now taken a turn into the private healthcare sector. She's got a setup at the Shard and also in Harley Street. So this lady is in demand. And I love talking to Caitlin. Um, she takes all my terrible jokes with a pinch of salt. <laughs> and she also comes from an evidence-based approach which, as you know, here on Love at First Science, we really champion. So enjoy listening to Caitlin. I did learn a lot. And one of the things I took away from my chat with her is how important it is to have regular meal times. It's something I've implemented since doing the interview, and I can honestly say it's really made a difference. So without much further ado, enjoy the chat with Caitlin. It is my great honor to invite another guest to talk about a topic I'm completely obsessed with, which is the gut. And Caitlin Colucci, thank you so much for joining us on Love at First Science. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on. Caitlin, you are someone who's done so much in your short time on this planet. And uh, it's really an honor to have your genius come onto the show. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself before we get started? Yes, of course. So my name is Caitlin Colucci and I'm a UK registered dietitian specializing in gut health. So going back, I studied at the University of Nottingham here in the UK, where I completed a four year master's degree in nutrition and dietetics. And then I was fortunate enough to obtain a position at Imperial College Healthcare NHS Trust, wow. where I worked for several years in lots of different areas, gaining experience in things like vascular surgery, endocrinology. And then that's where I finally specialized into gastroenterology. And at the same time, I was lucky enough to train at King's College London to be able to, to deliver and teach uh, the low FODMAP diet to patients with irritable bowel syndrome. And then all of that experience led me to lead a specialist gastroenterology and general nutrition clinic in private healthcare in London. And then because I wasn't busy enough, whilst also doing all of that, I now run my own online gut health clinic, uh, offering one-to-one -one private consultations and also an online group course. 
and you can find me sharing all sorts of gut health and nutrition tips as well as insights to things like yoga meditation and mindfulness and their impact on gut health over on my instagram at the mission dietitian and guys, please do follow Caitlin on The Mission Dietitian because she really does share such valuable content and you're so, you've got such a great personality and that's why I was excited to bring you on the show because one of the things that I really wanted to the podcast to be about is sharing practical tips and tools for people so that they can, you know, have something tangible to go out into the world with and just to make their lives a little better. And I know that you've got loads of tricks up your sleeve, which I'm excited to get into. So can we just kind of start off with in your clinical experience, what are you seeing a lot of these days in the realm of gut? Yes, absolutely. So, well, one of the most common things which is cropping up in the gut health space at the moment is to do more with the gut microbiota. So the millions and trillions of not just gut bacteria, but friendly parasites, fungi, yeasts living within our large intestine. And this area of research is being dived into more and more and more. And we're realizing how the gut microbiota can impact not only our gut health, but also things like our brain health and can really communicate with our brain via something called the gut brain axes. Wow. Keep going. What else have you got? <laughs> because this is just like, this is really just wetting our appetite. So essentially, I suppose, you know, I could talk about the gut brain axes for ages, but essentially, yeah, we love it. Yeah. Yeah. This gut brain axes is this two way communication pathway in which the gut and the brain are constantly communicating to each other. So, you know, the brain is talking to the gut and the gut is talking back to the brain. And I like to think of it almost as a two way motorway where cars are constantly zooming back and forth. That's what's happening in your body. But the interesting part is our gut can, in fact, function entirely independently of our brain, which is why it's sometimes referred to as our second brain. Mm -hmm. And this is because it has its own nervous system called the enteric nervous system. Wow. And this nervous system talks to the brain via something called the vagus nerve. So vagus is actually Latin for long wandering nerve. And this is really the key structural component of the gut brain axes. So the gut and brain can chat to each other physically through this vagus nerve. So I always like to think of it almost like a telephone wire. But as well as the enteric nervous system, the gut and brain also communicate to each other via the parasympathetic nervous system, otherwise known as the rest and digest nervous system. And so this is switched on when we're particularly calm and relaxed. And then the brain and the gut also communicate to each other via the sympathetic nervous system. So otherwise known as the fight or flight nervous system. And that is the one that tends to be switched on when we're stressed. And then as well as all that, the gut microbiota can play a direct role in talking to the brain. So like I was saying, it's this community of bacteria. And when we eat foods that contain prebiotic fibers, so that includes foods such as onions, artichokes, leeks, mango, beans, cashews, just to kind of name a few, the gut microbiota try to break down these foods through a process known as fermentation. And this fermentation produces all sorts of beneficial short chain fatty acids, most commonly propionate, butyrate and acetate. 
And these active metabolites then get sent all around the body to the brain, but also to things like our skin, our heart and our kidneys. So the gut and the brain can communicate physically through this vagus nerve, through metabolite communication via the gut microbiota. And then one final form of communication is chemically also. So through hormones called our neurotransmitters. So this is where food and mood can really play a role because these neurotransmitters, so in particular serotonin and hunger hormones like peptide YY. So for example, peptide YY is the hormone released after we've eaten to tell us that we're full and we should stop eating. And serotonin is also known as our happy hormone. And it's really interesting because in fact, 90% of serotonin is made within the gut. So this is just another reason why it's so, so important to have a healthy gut to produce enough of these feel good hormones. Yeah, I think, you know, I was listening to a different podcast talking about sleep and they were talking about serotonin actually being a one of the neurotransmitters needed for sleep. And I found that really interesting. And now I'm having my mind blown by you saying that actually it's our diet that can have such a huge impact on how much serotonin we have. So it's what I still find so fascinating about the body. I should probably stop being so wowed by this, given the amount of years I've been in this field is how interlinked things are. Seemingly completely unrelated things actually have this intricate connection to each other. And it's interesting you mentioned sleep and serotonin because yes, obviously we all have our own circadian rhythm, which is our internal clock that regulates our sleep and wake times. But it's actually now becoming clear that our gut microbiome, gut microbiome sorry, is also regulated by circadian rhythms and disruption to this rhythm can impact the diversity mm. of our microbiota. So for example, the evidence shows, although most studies so far have been done in mice, that if you have irregular eating patterns, that this can affect the function of our gut microbes and shorter or more disruptive oh. sleep patterns can increase things like inflammation and stress hormones, which um, explains why not getting enough sleep can worsen gut symptoms in some people. However, obviously everything to do with the gut brain axes is bi-directional. So it's a two-way communication. So similarly, if you eat a very unhealthy diet, a diet low in plant diversity, then this can impact the gut microbiota's own circadian rhythm and therefore wow. impact your sleep. So it might explain why regular sleepers have a better mood as the gut mm. microbiota is so closely linked to the brain via the gut brain axes. Okay, so something you said there that really kind of twigged my uh, my my interest. Gosh, you you are saying many good things, and I'm like <laughs> because it's all so amazing. Um, particularly around the realms of we've got our circadian rhythm, and you know what we're eating is going to impact that, and then you've got your gut. So it's all kind of interlinked. You know, it's like a chicken and egg situation that we've got going on. Can we just take a quick step back again on the practical tools for the listeners? What kind of foods can they eat to help increase serotonin, make their gut microbiome happy? And then can you please just uncover times that we, because you mentioned there, we have to eat these wonderful things at specific times. I'm very much an irregular eater. What's kind of going on in my body if I'm not giving my set meal times? Yeah. Scare so, me. I want to be inspired <laughs> into change. <laughs> yeah. 
So first of all, let's start with the question, which foods can you eat? So we're really looking at foods which can, as you say, boost this gut microbiome. And those foods are what we call our plant-based foods. So that includes your fruits, your vegetables, your whole grain carbohydrate foods, brown rice, whole grain pasta, quinoa, uh, oats, just to name a few, your beans, your pulses, your lentils, your chickpeas, and also your nuts and your seeds. And things like herbs and spices can also be beneficial for our gut microbiota. So the aim with plant-based foods is to try to achieve 30 different plant-based foods per week. So wow. that might sound like an awful lot. That's incredible. Um, yes, but if you actually start to add up the different plant points you eat during the week, you might be quite surprised at how many you achieve, especially if you're adding in those herbs and spices, which count towards a quarter of a point. Okay. And things like onion and garlic also count as well. Um, and this came from a really large clinical trial, which looked at the diversity of people's gut microbiome. And it found that those those who ate 30 or more different plant points per week had a far more diverse gut microbiota compared to those who ate less than 10 plant points per week. And, and does cooking change that, that at all? Does it have to be raw or is it okay to eat the cooked vegetables and fruits and... Yeah, cooked is fine, raw okay. is fine. It's always best to get a variety. So, okay. you know, things like a green pepper is different from a red pepper. Yeah. Like oh. a bag of mixed salad leaves rather than just spinach or iceberg lettuce, um, you know, adding in different spices, different herbs, buying a, a jar of uh, mixed nuts and seeds rather than just almonds and walnuts, for example. You're making it sound very easy to do when you say things like that, which is really encouraging. Because at first you said 30 and I was like, <gasps> That's a lot. <laughs> but you're, you know, saying it like that, I think all of us are probably, if you're eating a generally healthy diet, you're probably hitting all those. Absolutely. Sometimes it requires a bit of thinking power. So normally what I suggest to my clients is, you know, without trying too hard over the next seven days, just add up how many different plant points you have. And remember, obviously, if you eat carrots on a Monday and then again, carrots on a Wednesday, that doesn't count as two different points because obviously that's the same vegetable. So over the course of the first seven days, I don't know, you might hit 10 points, you might hit 15 points and that's absolutely fine. But then the following week, think about, okay, how can I add an additional five plant points into my diet this week? And then go from there, building upon your score kind of each week oh brilliant okay caitlin take us now into the second phase please i think a healthy amount of um fear mongering here is going to be useful for someone like me because i start off with good intentions but because you and i were talking before we started recording about the complexities of running your own business that sort of takes precedence in my mind and then all the good intentions to have a regular diet slips out the door so you know healthy fear mongering away <laughs> So when we look at kind of the regularity of meals, I normally recommend to try and eat regular meals throughout the day. And that's because when we skip meals, we then tend to slightly overeat at our next meal, which then creates more work for our digestive system to do. However, when I was talking earlier about the gut microbiome, circadian rhythm and eating regular meals for that, it's important that you try to stick to eating meals kind of within the same sort of window across the day. For example, you know, avoid eating particularly late at night just before you go to bed 
or um, you know, eating breakfast some days and then skipping it other days. Try to create a standard meal pattern on most days. Now, of course, you know, some people have never really eaten breakfast, and of course, intermittent fasting now is gaining a lot of popularity. Um, with intermittent fasting in particular, I say it's not for everyone and you have to do it correctly and effectively. So intermittent fasting for people who don't know or time restricted feeding, I suppose, is when you only eat within typically an eight hour window in the day. So you'd have your food between 12 midday and 8 p.m. and then you fast for 16 hours from 8 p.m. till the following 12 midday. Now, there is some emerging research that that could be beneficial for our gut microbes because essentially that prolonged fast allows the put very simply the gut to kind of be cleaned out and our gut microbes to have a bit of a rest so that essentially they're feeling fitter and stronger to then digest the food we eat in that eight hour window however the research isn't strong enough yet to definitely recommend this as something to do to everyone and that's why if you're thinking about embarking on something like intermittent fasting to try and help with your gut ideally you'd want to talk to someone like a registered dietitian or a gut health specialist before embarking down that road oh that's really good advice Caitlin, because i am the type of person who's really benefited from it but I have been called out on social media that actually, you know, be careful because you've got so many people that follow you that potentially have eating disorders and it might not be the right thing for them. And so I'm really mindful now of not talking about it openly as I once did. But uh, in the spirit of breaking the rules, I'm going to talk about it now. <laughs> um, yes, I do benefit from skipping breakfast. I have, I'm far more alert. But when I then break the fast, that varies. Sometimes I'm hungry and I think I'm eating. And sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm going to go until 12 or 2. But I tend to keep my feeding window roughly between certain hours. Does that still have an impact on someone's microbiome? Or should they be really breaking the fast at roughly the same time and then starting the fast as, I, as it were the last meal of the day at roughly the same time? So in terms of what the research says, I don't think we quite yet know. I would normally say to stick to a regular pattern where you can, just okay. because our bowel and our gut, they are creatures of habit. Um, and just another note on the intermittent fasting. So, you know, it's so great to hear that it's worked really well for you. And this is the thing, it does work really, really well for some people. But for my own clients that I see in my clinic, for, who have, for example, like IBS or, you know, bloating, intermittent fasting is not something that I tend to recommend because then tend to eat slightly larger meals, which can sometimes worsen these types of symptoms. Mm. So a little and often approach throughout the day is often a little bit better. Okay, that's really useful. And, you know, on the topic of bloating and bowel issues, I think everyone who I, I mean i'm in contact with a lot of hypermobile people and one of the actual comorbidities that runs alongside hypermobility is gut issues and often it's the bloating the gas the the irregular bowels as it were sometimes it's really hard and can't come out sometimes they're too runny and they you know processing too quick you know is there anything that you see i know what's beautiful about the research is it kind of gives us blanket things but is there anything sort of tailored for the hypermobile community that you can think of so well first of all when we look at kind of gut symptoms in the hypermobile 
obviously as I'm sure your community already know that's when your tissues are more stretchy and it's to do with this collagen so the protein which helps give the right amount of sort of tension to the tissues but in people who have hypermobility this co collagen is less structured which means the tissues are obviously slightly more stretchy which also then makes the gut a little bit more stretchy um, and can therefore lead to as you say these symptoms of bloating but sometimes um, diarrhea things like leaky gut leaky gut mm. so it's important to remember that whilst differences in the digestive tract function are likely to be present in those with hypermobility unfortunately as yet a diagnostic sort of biomarker has not been identified and more research is definitely needed to better understand the nature and the impact of connective tissue within the digestive system but the type, the frequency and severity of digestive symptoms can vary so much from person to person. So, you know, the most commonly reported problems affecting the upper uh, digestive tract are things like reflux or uh, mm. chronic indigestion with pain or discomfort. And certainly this early fullness or early satiety after meals. And then symptoms which affect the lower digestive tract can present problems such as things like um constipation abdominal pain bloating diarrhea mm. um, and just an overall general feeling old friends you're just naming every <laughs> single one of them <laughs> we um, hang out all the time you should come <laughs> <laughs> but um specific evidence-based management guidelines for the management of all of these symptoms in people who have hypermobility unfortunately do not exist and mm -hmm. patients are often treated symptomatically essentially okay. so that's fine a specific symptom that's good i think that's good that you said that because i think sometimes with something like hypermobility it's such an individual condition as it is and then on top of that, you're layering in stuff like lifestyle, which is involving various food situations. And obviously the gut has this, like you said, mind connection and these people are highly anxious. So to give, you know, blanket statements, I think is really irresponsible. And so thank you for just saying it as it is. We do need to get unique help. Um, but for example, something that I found really helped me was just I know that we shouldn't vilify any foods, but sugar was a really big one for me. And I see that with so many of the people that I'm in contact with, hypermobile or not, what's your opinion on processed sugars? So when you say sugars, which yeah. foods in particular are you referring to? This is a good question again, because obviously <laughs> pasta becomes a sugar in your body and pasta is not a bad thing. Rice is not a bad thing. Bread is not a bad thing. I suppose I'm just thinking of maybe those chocolate bars that I used to have daily, which wasn't helping me at all. Um, and maybe, yeah, I think, I think I'm thinking more of the sugary snacks that I was fairly addicted to. I know a lot of people are like, oh, sugar's not as addictive as we once thought. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I was very addicted to sugar. I couldn't leave it alone. It was on my mind all the time. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, sugar is not a bad thing. And sugar and things like chocolate bars and, you know, the occasional cakes and biscuits, they're not unhealthy in the context of an otherwise healthy diet. 
Now, it sounds as though, and I could be completely wrong, but you know, if you're having things like lots of chocolate bars and relying on these foods, and like you say, very addicted, it's probably likely that the rest of your diet was maybe not as healthy or as balanced as it could be. I could be wrong, but- I think I did, I did my best with it because I was so health conscious. <laughs> But it was like the thing in the back of my mind, like you should have it every day. Like I couldn't not go a day without it. It was like an anxiety to have, like I had to satisfy a craving. Yeah. yeah. And that also then ties in the whole gut brain axis. So even if you have low mood and anxieties, then that can start manifesting in the gut. And therefore this association gets drawn with this particular food. But of course, you know, as I was saying, a bit of chocolate in the context of an otherwise healthy diet is not a bad thing. But if the only thing you're eating is chocolate and unhealthy snacks, then of course, that's not going to be of benefit to the gut in particular. And the main thing you can do is try to eat 30 different plant based foods every week. So really trying to up your dietary fiber in particular. So um, dietary fiber, I like to think of as the personal trainer for our gut. Um, so just as you would kind of go to the gym and lift weights to work out your arm muscles and your leg muscles, you have to eat dietary fiber to get your gut muscles to function in a particular way. And when I say dietary fiber, it kind of teams in with those plant-based foods. So fiber forms the backbone of all of your plant-based foods. So the fruits, the veggies, the whole grains, beans, pulses, lentils, nuts, and seeds. And as well as improving gut health, you know, fiber is super, super important for overall health. So there was a study that showed that an eight gram per day increase in dietary fiber could lower your risk of things like heart disease by 19%, lower your risk of type two diabetes by 15% and reduce your risk of colon cancer by 8%. Wow. So um, the aim would be to get about 30 grams of fiber per day or aim for these 30 plant points across the week. Um, and that would be the number one thing to ensure that you're eating kind of a healthy diet. If then a little bit of sugar is creeping in around That's those fine. foods, then that would be fine. Okay, yeah, I'm glad you said that because I do love a little snack every now and then. That's, uh, you know, <laughs> quote unquote naughty. Um, but you know, what, Caitlin, something I picked up on, I actually decided for ethical reasons to go vegan. And I was definitely hitting those 30 plant points per week. But my guts were in pieces. And I think I you know, sorry, guys, for too much information coming through here. But I don't think I did a solid poo for about 10 years. And I just my body couldn't couldn't cope with that much fiber. When I then switched back to more of a plant, uh, more of an animal-based um, diet, which was very difficult for me because of the ethics behind it, my gut improved so much. Like I couldn't believe the difference. Anything there that maybe, again, it's more individual, I realize that, but is there anything there that kind of, in your clinical experience, you're thinking, oh, it could be X, Y, Z? Yeah, it's something, I really commonly see actually. So people who decide to swap mm. to a vegan diet, you get this sudden increase of dietary fiber. So lots more fruits and veggies, lots more beans, pulses, lentils, lots more whole grains, probably a bigger variety of fruits and vegetables you weren't used to. Now, again, likening it to a personal trainer, you know, if you were to go into a gym and try and lift a heavy 40 kilo dumbbell, having not been to the gym in a year, you would struggle. And that's exactly the same as when you eat a lot of dietary fiber in one go, your gut struggles to be able to deal with that. And it can sometimes make you very constipated, feel very bloated. 
teamed with that, when we think about what's involved in eating a vegan diet, you're having more plant-based protein. So your beans, your pulses, your lentils, mm. like I said, a wider Lethal. variety. Yeah. <laughs> a wider variety of vegetables. And a lot of these foods contain what we call um uh, highly fermentable fibers, otherwise known as FODMAPs. And sometimes if you then start to eat again a very sudden large amount of these FODMAPs, your gut can really struggle um, and it can lead to a lot of unwanted symptoms. Now, this is why the gradually, gradually, slowly, slowly approach can be helpful because sometimes long-term small exposure to a particular food can actually help your gut microbes um, get used to digesting that food. So for example, in my clinic with patients who maybe are following a vegan diet, but they're suffering from quite bad gut symptoms, um, we you know, maybe remove beans and pulses just for a couple of weeks so that their symptoms can really settle focus on all your other plant-based proteins and then what we do is almost like a gradual reintroduction plan so every day for a week have just a tablespoon of chickpeas and that gets your gut microbes used to digesting that food and then you can kind of gradually gradually increase the portion sizes of those foods that you're having I interrupt this episode briefly to let you know that I am now a published author. The book, Too Flexible to Feel Good, has been written by me and my buddy Adele, and we have written this book for the hypermobile community. Of course, us bendies, we are no stranger to gut issues, but there are also other comorbidities like anxiety and fatigue, and of course, we tend to injure a lot. Well, this book, Too Flexible to Feel Good, has been written to help you navigate these challenges. It gives you loads of tips and tools that you can implement easily into your daily routine and instantly these will help you feel so much better. You can get your copy now from Amazon or any major online retailer. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I think I, I think I went a bit all all guns blazing. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, the rest is history, really. I feel sorry for the people who are in my life at that point because they got the brunt of it. <laughs> um, also, it was quite a interesting psychological experience, I think, you know, doing an extreme diet like that. I'm definitely now more of a middle, middle, middle man. Um, anything that you kind of feel is something that you're seeing in terms of other issues in terms of the gut i know we've mentioned gas and bloating we've kind of touched upon diets is there anything else that you're thinking could be useful for all the listeners the i had a, I had a bit of a think before obviously you invited me onto the podcast and there i suppose there's two main areas that come up a lot and potentially in the hypermobile space but also just in general gut health space is the use of collagen or collagen supplements mm -hmm. that come across this a lot yes and there's not a lot of research i did do try and get some research there isn't but i think it's more it could be more that people are imagining that they're getting better from it i'm not sure but i definitely have experimented with it myself to varying degrees i thought that there was something there but it would be really interesting to hear your opinion yeah so you know collagen is their main component of muscles tendons ligaments and in theory you know if you're eating a high protein diet you should be able to generate plenty of your own collagen to protect and repair these tissues. Now, the evidence we have looking at collagen so far that I could find has been done actually in athletes only. So not even looking at, you know, hypermobile people. And it's found that collagen may help to limit injuries, 
reduce joint pain and improve bone density. And it may Mm. also help repair injuries to tendons and ligaments and reduce the risk of injury recurrence. Wow, that's fantastic news. Yes, but of course with collagen, it's not a complete protein, meaning it doesn't contain Mm. all nine essential amino acids. And it's therefore much more recommended to try and get your protein through whole food sources. And um, as well as the kind of sports performance side of things, obviously lots of studies and health claims have demonstrated collagen supplementation to enhance things like like skin qualities, elasticity. I was about to ask you about the wrinkles. (laughs) (laughs) Can we get onto the important topic now of wrinkles? But unfortunately, (laughs) so when you ingest collagen, you know, in your gut, your gut cannot differentiate between whether you're eating a, coll- a scoop of collagen powder or whether you're eating an egg or a piece of chicken. And of so it doesn't mean that by eating collagen, that collagen is going to go to your skin. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, these claims in the media far surpass any evidence we currently have um, to support the use of collagen by the literature. Yeah. So and you know what, guys, I just want to put this out there. Placebo is still in effect. So if yeah. you're... You know, if your nails are suddenly a little bit harder or if you're thinking your skin's more glowy and you're doing the collagen thing, you'd keep doing you because like placebo could still be a thing. But I think it's important as well to really come from that place of I really champion the fact that you're bringing so much science to us, by the way. I'm loving it, Caitlin. Um, Just remember that, yeah, some of it might be your body type or it might be not not across the board. So don't go and tell everyone you have to take collagen or you'll fall apart. That's probably not entirely true. Yes, exactly. And, you know, with everything to do with nutrition, it's it's not necessarily sort of, you know, uh, there isn't a quick fix for things. And I guess this is another thing that I kind of wanted to talk about is, you know, people reach for things like collagen, people reach for things like probiotics in the gut health space, because they think, oh, great, I can just take this one thing, and it will cure all my problems, I can take collagen, and I should have glowy skin, you know, I can take a probiotic, and all my gut health problems will fly out the window. When in fact, our bodies are such complex Mm. creatures and there's so many different factors which can impact things like gut health, for example, which I hope I've explained today, that you can't look at one thing as a quick fix of something. You really need to try and get to the cause of the underlying problem and kind of work from the bottom up rather than just putting a plaster over something and hoping that it goes away. Yeah, and I think that that's where people like you are so valuable because you actually sit down with people one on one and you actually take the time to figure out the complexity of the individual in front of you. Um, Caitlin, what is your opinion on stuff like stool samples, sending people off for analysis? Yeah, so very interesting uh, marketing strategies that people have for stool analysis. And let's just say that if you're looking for a personalized diet based off of this stool sample, then please don't waste your money because we are not quite yet there with the research to say. So for example, if you sent out, sent off a stool sample and it came back and it told you all the levels of the different bacteria in your, in your guts, you know, you might have a high level of X bacteria, but a low level of Y bacteria, but that doesn't yet tell us really anything about your gut yet so we don't know what it means to have a higher or lower level of certain bacteria 
there's some emerging research coming out looking at things like diabetes, obesity, um, even depression, anxiety. And yes, we are now starting to be able to identify that certain bacteria, um, certain levels of those bacteria are um, associated with these particular conditions. But because the gut microbiome is like a fingerprint, you know, we, me and you could both send off a stool sample and our gut bacteria would look completely different. And you could have a high level of one bacteria and I could have a low level of that same bacteria. But yet that doesn't quite mean that, you know, you've got a healthy gut and I've got an unhealthy gut because it's to do with all the other bacteria, which are also mm. living in your gut at the same time time and the and the interaction they have together and their impact on you know the how they how they digest the food that you're eating and of course you know the types of foods you're eating to feed that gut bacteria so it's a complex picture you know they can sometimes be used for example say you do a stool sample and you send it away and you bring back you get back an analysis and then maybe you spend 12 weeks four months with a dietitian working to improve your diet increase your plant points and then at the end of that 12 weeks you could repeat another one and then you could see perhaps how your gut bacteria has changed within that time but otherwise I wouldn't recommend to use them for any other reasons apart from that okay you're saying if you're not going to do a pre and post with some kind of action in between it's probably going to be a waste of your energy and it's a lot of money as well yes exactly. and quite a distressing process i might add <laughs> not the easiest thing to do send off a stool sample let me tell you i speak from experience exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um all fun and games though um okay so sending off a stool sample obviously you spoke about the markers of gut bacteria but is there anything else we can glean from a stool sample that could maybe give us insights into person's health and their function? Well, I mean, a stool sample, not necessarily something that you have to send away, but I really encourage people to take a look at their poo. Your masterpiece. Yes, exactly, your masterpiece <laughs> of the day, or maybe every other day if, if you're lucky, some people not so lucky. Um, because this really can tell you a lot about the functioning of your gut and the type of foods that you're eating. So, you know, the perfect poop would be formed, soft, easy to pass, maybe in one piece, it may be in a few pieces. Um, you know, if it gets particularly loose, watery, or if it gets very, very hard and you're straining, of course, if you notice any blood in your stool, those are really red flags. And that would be worth going to see a doctor, a GP, a health professional to discuss things further. So, um, you know, if you think if your poop is a little bit runny, that could suggest you're not getting enough fibers, like things like oats, nuts, seeds. If your poop is very, very hard, again, that might suggest you're not getting enough fiber or maybe you're having too much fiber. Um, or again you're not drinking enough fluid so I've talked a lot about fiber today and gradually, <laughs> gradually increasing fiber but if you do it's super important to make sure you're drinking enough fluid because mm. fiber requires fluid to work effectively in the gut fantastic yeah it's it like you say it's a complex picture and I think a lot of people almost I mean I'm speaking from personal experience here I was super into it I mean like really into it and I think I, I reached a point where I just kind of got a bit fed up because there's so many different things to think about any words of encouragement words of encouragement for kind of anyone like me who's kind of fallen off the wagon a little bit 
um in terms of like with your food and diet and yeah basically just kind of keeping an eye like now I just look at my masterpiece and I'm like oh well there's another one <laughs> before I think I had a lot more curiosity and I really used to sit down and I used to think about what I'd eaten and and I used to think you know what? I could do better tomorrow tomorrow I need to do xyz now I'm just so grateful if I sit down for lunch and and I again you know a healthy amount of fear-mongering just to kind of get me back on the straight and narrow please Caitlin yeah so, you know, at the end of the day, you've only got one body to live in and you really need to look after that body and nourish it as best as you can because you, you know, your when we focus specifically on gut health, your gut is so closely linked to your brain and vice versa. And there comes a time in this world where you really need to put your health first and yourself first to really get the best outcome in life in terms of what you're doing, um, you know, in terms of living a long and happy life, um, in terms of not having to suffer from any you know, ailments or gut symptoms. And it can really help to, you know, take an hour of your week just as you would maybe to practice yoga or to meditate and think about okay what is it this week that I really want to focus on in terms of my own diet is it the mm. plant points is it my fluid is it my meal regularity is it that I have lunch every day even if it's 10 minutes you know is it that I try to not eat past 8 p.m because I'm not sleeping that well and I'm feeling quite full when I'm asleep and things like that you know is it okay, I'm going to you know, really monitor my store habits this week and try and keep an eye on things. And, you know, you know, is it that I'm going to talk to friends or family about things? Because sometimes you don't even know what's not normal until you've maybe spoken to someone else about it. So really kind of set an hour each week to prioritize thinking about, okay, what am I going to do for my health, my gut health this week? Um, and then it just takes one hour of your time and then you're kind of sorted for the rest of the week. I like to use that time even sometimes for meal planning. So, you know, looking at my week, planning about some meals I'm going to have for the week, just so I can ensure I've got like a balance and getting all my different plant points in and so on. Caitlin, that makes it so much easier the way you've explained it, because I think that part of the issue, and I hope that listeners out there, I don't know if you guys are going to resonate, is there is a lot of people talking about different things that we should be doing for our health. And when I add it all up, it's so much time. And then on top of everything else we're trying to do to just kind of scrape by and, you know, see friends and have some kind of vague resemblance of normality. Often, I think certain things kind of fall by the wayside. And in particular, for certain personalities, I know I used to be super into it, probably because I had different issues I was trying to resolve. But since those issues are resolved, I really have dropped the ball. Um, but I guess without those, without being mindful of those issues, they could come back, right? So it's really important to kind of stay on top of it. And your, your tip of just having one thing to focus on is really manageable, I think, for everybody. Yeah. And it's, it is a bit of a chicken and egg thing, because obviously, you know, as you say, in the health space, there's so many things that we could potentially add to our to-do list another thing to do another thing to do and you say you've taken your eye off the ball but also maybe slightly more relaxed about things and you're just confident in your own body to support you in the way that it needs to and that in itself can do wonders for your overall health because there's not this fear around eating and anxiety around eating and what should I eat next and is this the right thing to be eating so so um yeah, I guess just to say like 
for people not to be too hard on themselves either when it comes to trying to improve your health. You know, nothing's going to change overnight, but it's the daily habits that you start to form that will make the biggest difference in the long run. You know, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think all those years of being slightly obsessive have formed habits and um, I'm maybe not very regular with my meals and that is something I'm going to take away from this chat but definitely the type of food that I eat vastly improved from when I was a child or even like my early 20s compared to now I'm like a totally different person a totally different palate like I used to really crave sugar at a very high level and now honestly it can be there and I'll look at it and I'll think I don't I don't fancy that which is really not the Celeste I used to know so yeah I think and obviously fluid intake is something I've always been good at so there's definitely some healthy foundations there and you're right I think since I since since letting go a little bit and just being more relaxed that has definitely had some part to play in the picture yeah for sure and I'm so glad that that is the case for you and because you know I see so many people who think that improving gut health is actually about dietary restriction so you know cutting out gluten cutting out lactose cutting out certain foods and never really doing it in a methodical way never trying to reintroduce things and then it the, the diet space can become very very confusing in terms of what to eat next and so you know as i hope that i've explained today is you know improving gut health isn't about dietary restriction it's about trying to actually feed your gut bacteria what they need and eating a wider variety of plant-based foods as possible oh this is such a great chat and caitlin it's really apparent how much time and energy you've put into the preparation for this chat and uh, i just wanted to give you one more opportunity is there anything else that you wanted to kind of shout about that you're really passionate about that possibly something you're either seeing in clinic that you want to flag or advice that maybe you wish everyone had that they not that they don't currently have access to is anything else you want to add gosh we've talked about so much today already that yeah. i really do think we've covered all basis and okay and yeah so thank you for giving me the platform to share the knowledge and i hope it's been helpful to people so helpful and honestly you know they always they, there's always that statement if I've just helped one person that's enough you've already helped me so much I can't thank you enough for your time and energy and Caitlin something I ask all my guests is if there was one message you could give to the world it doesn't have to be related to anything we've spoken about what would your message be that you'd like to share with everybody oh that's so sweet um <laughs> My message to the world would be, so of course my specialist area is gut health and that is the area that I'm super, super passionate about. But, you know, improving gut health isn't just about what we eat. It's how we nourish our mind as well. Mm -hmm. Life is too short to continue to be debilitated by stresses and anxieties. And it's really now time to take a step back and live the life that your body needs and that your mind needs so that it can nourish you the way that you know any foods that you eat will also do this is beautiful i really would i'm gonna go buy a billboard for you and i'm gonna get it erected so we could get some eyeballs on that message um but caitlin <laughs> 
For now, thank you so much for sharing it with everyone listening to this podcast. You're such a beautiful person. Everyone listening, please go to The Mission Dietitian because Caitlin has so much to offer this world. I wish more people knew about you. Honestly, you're such a dream, my love. Thank you for your knowledge and all your hard work to be here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, my love. And is there um, anything else? Just signing off? Should we just say peace out? Yeah, sure. Peace out. Peace and love. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, actually, that was it. This is I'm still new at this podcast game, Caitlin. Forgive me. Yeah. Where can people find out more about you? We've mentioned the Mission Dietitian, but have you got a website that's the same URL? Uh, so annoyingly, no. So I've got, <laughs> I've got a website, but it's not the same URL. Although actually, I think it might be linked. Anyway, you can find me on Instagram at The Mission Dietitian. Otherwise, um, go to my website, which is caitlincolucci.com, which is also linked in the bio of my Instagram page. So you can find me there as well. Perfect, my love. Okay, that that's how you sign off a podcast, everybody. <laughs> Get people to talk about where to find them. Big love, my lovely Caitlin. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much. And that's the end of this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And if you think of anyone who could possibly benefit from the information that was shared today, honestly, guys, you sharing this podcast really will help more than you could ever know. I'm your host, Celeste Pereira, and I'd like to send you love at First Science.